Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can learn everything you need to know about sustainable and ESG investing from leaders in the field. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. Bruce Kahn, Ph.D., has recently joined Shelton Capital Management to bolster the firm's sustainable investment and ESG expertise. In today's podcast episode, we're going to begin our conversation with the green industrial transformation that is making corporations more resource use efficient related to water, land, energy, and labor. Khan's extensive background in sustainable investment management includes industry leaders MSCI, Sustainable Insight Capital Management, and Deutsche Asset Management. He is also an adjunct professor at Columbia's Sustainability Management Program, the Earth Institute. Hello, Bruce, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Thanks, Paul. Thanks. It's, it's great to be back. Uh, I think uh, this is either my second or third time, and it's, uh, it's great to see how successful um, the Sustainable Finance Podcast has been in the uptake uh, of the industry. Well, listen, you've certainly been an important part of that. So thank you for your support in the past, and I'm excited about having you on the program again. And we're going to jump right into the first question yes. when you're ready. So you've spoken about the corporate green revolution in resource use efficiency. What evidence do you have that this is occurring, and what are the catalysts? The evidence that companies are becoming more energy efficient, efficient with uh, water resources, um, capital resources, labor resources, is apparent not only in their sustainability reports and in their 10Ks, their annual reports of their financial statements, but also in the third-party evaluation of how companies are progressing on a whole slew of metrics. You know, spending time, as you mentioned, at MSCI, I had a deep insider look at all the data that comes in and uh, how those companies are making progress on all the goals. And some of the tools that we use to evaluate these companies track their progress over time. And we see this across industries, not only utilities, oil and gas, and materials, but also industrials, consumer discretionary, uh, et cetera, across the entire um you know, uh, GICS classification system, we see companies who are leading the pack uh, on becoming more resource use efficient. And, and that just speaks to the data revolution that, is, that has been occurring in, in the time that you and I have been working in this industry. Not only is there a tremendous more amount of data, but the quality of the data and the ability to access really granular information about companies is really helping investors uh, really see the differences between companies' resource use efficiency. Okay, well, good. So, so it's clear from your answer, Bruce, that this is not just about pure play technology companies. Uh, it includes multinational conglomerates and across all sectors of the economy, including energy. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, that is what the evidence is showing. And that is now, do are pure play companies like a solar panel manufacturer or a wind turbine manufacturer, are those good investments? Well, they can be, right? But they also are held to the same scrutiny that any other company is in terms of not just the product that they create, but how they create it and why they create it. So it's the what, why, and how uh, are important. Secondly, 
the non-pure play companies, companies who are operating in many businesses across many uh, geographies, yeah, they are. We are seeing evidence that companies are have taken on the mantle in their business strategy to become more resource use efficient. And as we've seen over the past um, really year now, um, companies are really becoming much more sensitive uh, to the commodity cycle because of the war in um, the Ukraine and Russia, which really put a lot of pressure on on commodity um, uh, markets. And we've seen the world adapt to that and, to, and companies adapt. Now their business strategies also have to, you know, we have to track, you know, core operating margin type of information about companies as well as what, how they're dealing with commodities. But we are seeing their greenhouse gas emissions track down, their water use efficiency go up and better labor conditions in many of the sectors globally. Okay, so that brings up a really uh, interesting uh, additional question related to this, Bruce, and that is what we have been talking about as sustainable investing, ESG investing, impact investing over the past 20 years or so seems to be uh, morphing into something that also includes companies that we didn't think of that way. So I'm going to ask you to distinguish for us between sustainable investing, ESG investing, impact investing, and clean tech investing. Yeah, well, I'm sure there are there's endless white papers out there and podcasts and videos on this topic, but it is an important topic to address. The underlying least cannot common denominator of all those genres of investing is investing, right? We are deploying capital to companies in order so that they can operate their businesses and grow. And so the the various adjectives, sustainable, ESG, impact, clean tech, these are all frameworks. Um, what I've noticed in the past 18 months, and maybe even more than that, is that these have become nouns rather than adjectives, right? There is not, you don't have, there's no such thing as a good ESG company or a bad ESG company. ESG. A company is not ESG or not ESG, right? A company has a company operates and performs and has a metabolism. We use environmental issues and social issues and governance issues, or what kind of products are they creating? Is it a renewable energy product or a technology for more efficient use of fertilizers? We would call ag tech or clean tech, um, or are they? building a plant in an under, underserved area where they're going to have a healthcare and an education system up, up center with the plant that they're building so that they build more social equity around their, their company. All those are fundamental components to sim, you know, bottoms up uh, fundamental analysis of the business. So all these adjectives are, are really frameworks for how to evaluate what the company is doing and how it is doing it. Now, there are some nuances which have historical uh, reasons for them. So, for example, you mentioned responsible investing. Responsible investing really comes out of a long history of what of, of the um, industry called socially responsible investing, which really was more of a values-based approach. What are my values, and how do I responsibly um, invest my money that is going to adhere to those values? Now, of course. Values are different depending on your lots of, of um, attributes, whether not only political, but social, economic, 
religious. And that is a fine way of investing. You're still investing. You still want to be deploying capital in a responsible manner. But that does not, that's not a one size fits all. Sustainable investing is a framework really heralded in by back in the 90s by the Brundtland report of, of applying what was written in that report as the sustainable development framework into the investment world. So what does a sustainable world look like? Well, it looks like where you know we have rising um, uh, incomes and low-served low, low uh, economies. We have um, better water, better air, better soil. Uh, better jobs. You know, it's kind of a, we know what it looks like when we see it. And so that's what we aspire to in the world world of sustainable development, where one generation doesn't um, comp um, compromise the next generation from achieving their own growth um, aspirations. And then impact, of course, that's also going to be a somewhat of uh, not a one size fits all because for one person's impact may be an, another person's negative screen. So uh, people can find impact across all asset classes, just depending on what they want to want to see their money used for. Mm. So then, Bruce, what role does innovation of corporates across technologies, services, business models, and geographies have in an investment thesis? And what data is important to these things? Yeah. Innovation, Paul, in my opinion, is one of the, the key hallmarks of a good investment. Um, is a business innovating not only their products and their services and or their services, but their business model and their business strategy? And how are they doing that? And why are they doing that? And what will the results ultimately be? The data we have on innovation um, is somewhat qualitative. So, you know, we do look at what's the IP the company is generating. Where is the IP being generated? And is the IP uh, being generated in a geography where it is not used? For example, um, there's great intellectual property and patents coming out of uh, Japan. But a lot of that, a lot of the technology that is using those um, uh, patents are being deployed in commercial markets outside of Japan. So just looking at home market of the technology development is not enough to understand the innovation uh, progress. Lots and lots more data has come to the fore in the past, let's say five years now, not so much with what people want to talk about it in terms of AI, but just in terms of company disclosure and our ability to really access more databases around the world about patents, about commercial opportunities, about markets. So innovation is, cr is critical. And it's not critical only just for the pure play companies. It is really critical for um, the larger incumbents. So we take a close look at what is the M&A practice of these large incumbents? What are, they, what are they targeting? Some of that is not data. Some of that is you know, going to conferences and seeing what companies are there scouting out new you know, small cap or even private companies. And that kind of intelligence is kind of what we used to, what EF Hutton used to say, doing it the old-fashioned way, right? Like sometimes you still got to go and talk to companies face to face and see what they're doing. And um, tone from the top is important, but also seeing what the what the what the foot soldiers are doing, um, you know, in the marketplace is also really important. Okay, so now there's a role for data for the investor decision making process, and 
Let's talk about the what this data or how this data is getting better on ESG, on climate, on innovation, on transition within companies, as you're suggesting. Not, not all companies are, are focused on the newer technologies. They're transitioning inside with their own kind of data that they're producing. Now, we've got regulatory uh, infrastructures that are going into place and going to be uh, um, starting to find companies and calling people on the carpet soon. How is all this going to be integrated? Well, companies uh, are responding to regulations um, around um, disclosure of their ESG and climate information from various institutions in the in Europe. The SFDR regulation is helping com- is promulgating companies really compelling. That is the law compelling companies to um, disclose information. In the U.S., we have um, the SEC making proposals about. Um, climate disclosure. Uh, but companies have been improving in their disclosure over the past couple of decades, um, part and parcel to, due to the SRI and sustainable investing um, uh, industry, because shareholders, both asset owners and asset managers, have been asking for more and more disclosure of information. And we've seen that over our careers, Paul, in this industry, where we've seen companies really disclose and report a lot more information. And just the growth of the data vendors themselves, the third-party data vendors, has promulgated many companies to um, seek out uh, professionals even internally to create more and better data because they 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 understood that what we learned um, in kind of like ESG 1.0 is like the you know the disclo- the collection and disclosure of all the ESG information is really important to third parties and to and to investors. But it also served as a really good um, mirror for managers to look at when they were looking at their own operations and behaviors, and that helped them improve. So they they saw the light there too, and all the systems now and all the trajectories around digitizing everything and making everything more efficient, they are now able to provide that information in a much more clean and efficient way. And so when they report that, then we were able to, to compare companies better. Um, so I think the role of data is is really important, always has been. Um, but of course, quantity does not um, surpass uh, qual- quality. We still need to have good quality information and good quality analysts who will know how to interpret data. So you know, there's a lot of great books out there about lies, damn lies, and statistics, or how to lie with statistics. Right? You really need to have good data visualization, data analysts who can interpret. Uh, a lot of this data, and that's what you know. We think are some of the cutting edge, you know, jobs for future people who aspire to get into the sustainable finance arena. So now, Bruce, are those new entries into the arena from a, a career perspective? Um, sounds like they're going to be working sort of across the spectrum of companies. In other words, some of them will be working for multinational companies that are realizing the need to scrutinize their internal data more carefully. And some of them will be working for companies that are doing new technologies in the world and that are very different than anything we've seen before. Uh, as a, an adjunct professor at Columbia, what do you focus on within your curriculum to support the the trajectory for these uh, people who are going into this uh, this industry from from these different points of view. 
they already are in these positions. So I've been teaching at Columbia over a decade now, and I have colleagues across, you know, former students, uh, really across the industry, not just the financial services industries, but at companies collecting data. And one of the key um, elements uh, I, we've always um, emphasized to these students um, is to be well-rounded, to understand the science of sustainability, to understand the management issues of sustainability, both qualitatively and quantitatively. So there's a really important uh, class, we set of classes we teach in quantitative uh, skills that they can have. And then they also need to have some element uh, knowledge of, of policy. And I've, I have former students who are operating across many operating companies in all sectors, not just you know, solar panels and, and sustainable farming, but also food distribution companies and uh, oil and gas companies and utilities. And um, and then other cool people get really cool jobs in data companies or they're in startups. And then, you know, the, 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 we're running the gamut there. And it's over a decade now. And it's like thousands of students out there that this program has has trained in those five kind of key um, components of the program. And that's really that's really exciting. So now, Bruce, there's a lot of data out there. Uh, it's it's hard to consume even uh, a small percentage of it and be focused in the right way on a day-to-day -day basis. For someone like yourself, first as a senior portfolio manager, uh, what kinds of additional data and information do you think most investors are not focusing on but should be? Well, therein lies the rub, Paul, right? <laughs> you know, um, active, active management uh, in the equity world where I occupy, um, you know, we, our bread and butter is based on uh, information arbitrage. So, you know, if everybody had all the same information and it was completely standardized, there'd be very little information arbitrage to be had. Um, I predicate my investment thesis on kind of four four main principles um, outlined in our um, outlined you know on our website um, which are called the prime uh, principles and it, it's really just about you know resource use efficiency and human um, human development um, and economic development and material use efficiency so uh, the the data that supports that prime criteria um, comes in all forms and uh, First and foremost, we do see this trend of companies reporting more what we think of as ESG data in their annual statements and connecting it to financial metrics. That is what people are, should be paying more attention to, um, and they are. And, and as we know, as data starts to be paid attention to, it becomes efficient, right? Once everybody knows that you know uh, water use per dollar of sale uh, average for an industry um, then that can be that would be kind of traded away as a unique factor. Um, so we're constantly exploring new factors. We're looking at innovation factors. We're looking at clean tech uh, revenue and uh, and what we think of as sustainability revenue. Um, and one of the challenges that has been really very difficult for our industry, as far as I've been in it, which is over twenty years now, um, are, are the is the S really because the you know. The, some of the S factors in the ESG framework are more qualitative. They are sometimes hard to measure. They are sometimes hard to understand um, uh, whether this is a financially material set of 
uh, issues or not. Um, and that just takes kind of experience, context, instinct to know whether that something's going to have a material impact on the financial condition of a firm. Um, and so some of it is nuanced like that. So um, what I really think a lot of investors are paying attention to now, um, you know, uh, post-impact, the post-impact term now is net zero, which are what people are really paying attention to now is the decarbonization targets that many companies have uh, declared a net zero target. And so what is their, what are their emissions? What is their emissions intensity? What's the trajectory of those emissions? What are their plans for reducing those emissions? Are they going to be using offsets? Are they going to be using technology? Are they simply going to take the divest approach where, you know, an oil and gas company sells off its oil and gas and keeps its wind and then therefore it's a wind company? You know, those types of things you have to pay attention to um, as to the dynamics of what's happening in capital markets. Okay. Well, Bruce, there's clearly a lot more to talk about on, on all always. of these topics, as always. And we'll be back to visit you in the future for another conversation. But for today, Bruce, tell our followers where online they can learn more about Shelton Capital Management and the Shelton Sustainable Equity Fund and how they can reach you with questions about the issues that we've discussed in today's podcast episode. Well, thank you, Paul. Yeah, viewers and listeners can find a lot of information about Shelton at sheltoncap.com. So that's S-H-E-L-T-O-N-C-A-P.com. And there we have an abundance of white papers and commentaries and podcasts. And uh, we have our CIO Minute and some write-ups that uh, I've been doing since I've joined the firm. That's sheltoncap.com. And we're looking forward to um, engaging with uh, with folks on these topics as they um, are also looking at how do I invest in a sustainable manner while still achieving um, you know, very attractive risk-adjusted returns. Great. So thanks again to Dr. Bruce Kahn, Senior Portfolio Manager of the Shelton Sustainable Equity Fund. And to our followers, join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, and this is the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Thank you.